The battle of Britain is about to begin. Welcome back to the Lead Pursuit Podcast. Tonight we're going to talk a little bit about gaming. We're going to talk a lot about fiction. And we're going to kind of talk about the crossover between the two. So we have brought Kevin Miller, the author of The Silver Waterfall uh, for historical fiction, and for some more modern fiction, Raven One, Fight Fight, and Declared Hostile, even though I said all three of those out of order. Uh, Kevin, good to have you back on the podcast. Hey, Doug. Great to be back. Thanks for having me. Well, Kevin Miller wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Rob. So Rob, our buddy from Fights On, once again drug me back down the primrose path. Rob, how you doing tonight? Howdy. Glad to be of assistance. Absolutely. Thanks for filling my schedule again. You know, just when I thought I might have a moment's respite. Uh, But it wouldn't be the Lead Pursuit podcast if I didn't drag one of my other miserable poor bastards on. Steve is on tonight, the new guy always filling in for everybody. Yeah, how you guys doing? I'm uh, excited to be talking to Rob again and uh, excited to hear a little more about these books. I'm always looking to pick up uh, new, uh, exciting reading. Well, you can you can go down the road I did and go, oh, it's just one book. I'll, I'm not going to read the rest of the series and then you end up reading the rest of the series. So, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things that uh, I enjoy Kevin's books. Kevin Miller is an author. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and fluff you here. I'm going to say some nice things about you. Um, His books are are really good for people who don't mind a little bit of technical jargon, but also don't need to be talked down to. And uh, Kevin, I know we talked to you in a previous episode about the Silver Waterfall, and it was nice for me to open up a book and you use terms like bulkhead and ladder well uh, and flight deck elevator without explaining everything in a painful Tom Clancy-ish, I'm going to build the aircraft carrier for you. So thanks for doing that. Oh, my pleasure. <laughs> well, it's it's funny because what I will share is that's that that I liked in Silver Waterfall makes it painful for me in Raven 1, uh, and especially in, in reading uh, Declared Hostile, uh, that there's times that I go through and I read the book and it makes perfect sense to me, but the problem is the thought in the back of my brain is I'm like, wait a minute, does does everyone understand what that means? And and sometimes maybe two sentences later you'll throw a little bit of a hint as to as to what those terms mean, but you are not afraid of naval aviation jargon. Uh, and I like that, but there's times I always feel guilty that I feel like the insider who goes, Yeah, I could read this book, but can everybody read this book and know what Kevin meant? So I'm sure I'm sure every once in a while reviewers pick on you about that. Well, we'd uh, we'd fall apart without our jargon and acronyms. We, we would. It's, and, it's second nature and, to me. And, so, it, but uh, but yes, I mean you, you hit on it uh, on a good point. That uh, yes, we we have our authentic way of speaking, and and, and people like that. Some don't. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so yeah, you'll you'll get a, a nice friendly uh, uh, you know critique in, in Amazon. But no, but by, by far most people appreciate it, and, and some readers. You know, there, there, there is a glossary, a pretty extensive glossary. Ah, there's all acronyms I'm supposed and, to know and, anyway. <laughs> and, and all, but, but, but readers, they say, you know, I'm just going to plow through this. I mean, I can, I can tell that something's going on here, something exciting. I may not know exactly uh, what, what, the, what the castle switch means here, <laughs> but, uh, but flip hit the castle switch and something exciting happens. So I'm just going to go with it. And, and so uh, I, in, in the second two books, though, I did dial it back about a quarter turn and uh, it made a, a little bit, but, but still you don't lose the, uh, the, the immersion. It's certainly there. Right. Well, Steve's all happy that as a, a flight sim uh, and uh, rated pilot, uh, nutcase. He's like, I know what a castle switch is. <laughs> yeah. Score one, score one for the new yeah, guy. Exactly. Huh? <laughs> the new guy knows what he's talking about. Oh no, that's good. Well, the, uh, the interesting thing dealing with the book is that, you know, the, the part that to me is, is is take it or leave it for me is the aviation piece of it in so many ways because i'm like okay got it i i understand what he's saying i understand how the aircraft work i understand the weapon system so this my brain doesn't doesn't stick on thinking about hey wait this is an f-18 dropping a jdam or this is an f-18 cutting a runway by dropping dumb bombs um but as as rob and i have alluded to what we really enjoy is the diversity of the characters 
Uh, and at times it is frustrating because characters always have to be exaggerated sometimes for people to actually grasp the uh, the issues at hand. Um, but Rob, I know you've said a lot of times that you really enjoy that the characters don't feel like the standard military fiction cookie cutter cutouts that always populate the stories. Right. The, this is not a Hollywood uh, squadron uh, ready room. This is definitely... I got a sense as a civilian, it, it's real world. There are personalities in this squadron that I run into in the, the corporate world all the time, which I thought really gave it a lot of authenticity. Yeah, I, I know, Kevin, we talked uh, last time, especially about the the executive officer, the second in command in Raven 1, and uh, how we've all laughed because we've all had that XO uh, who has literally been that much of a pain in the ass. Um, and. And while at times when I read characters like that, I go, that's an exaggeration. Then I go, no, no, I remember some people like that. <laughs> you know, I get uh, mail from from uh, people that served in, in all branches of the military. And, and I'll oftentimes get, you know, I had a guy just like that. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and and people people will ask me, oh, come on, Kevin, who was that? And and uh, honestly, uh, Saint, the character Saint, I, I never served with, encountered anyone as bad as Saint. Well, so you bring up the as bad as, and obviously having just finished uh, Declared Hostile, there's some really twisted people in there, even on the U.S. military side. Some, some personalities you go, wow, that's a, that's a really divisive person. But it was funny to me because cause while I will always give an author the, the permission to exaggerate people's personality traits or to, to make things more obvious to the reader so the reader doesn't have to feel like they're reading a spy novel and say, well, what is this person's real motivation? Um, it is funny to me to to come across some of those characters where you do have to polarize people. Uh, part of that probably is because in in military aviation, most of the personalities, ninety nine point nine percent of them, are larger than life, and they're they're people who don't fit well in a room with people of the same personality. I, I think you'd probably say there, Kevin. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a you know, and you mentioned diversity earlier, and, and sure, there's there's diversity in every sense of the word uh, in in my novels, especially in the, in Raven One, the uh, but it, but they're, they're human stories, and uh, there's there's a bunch of us in a squadron, and we're we're deployed away from home for for months and months on end, and, and then we get to go into combat, and and uh, we many of us are are just like brothers and and lifelong friendships, but not all, and 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 that's you know you're gonna find that in life, it, it's okay, and. Uh, uh, but anyway, the uh, the, the books uh, bring that out that you that you just have to work together to do the job. Yeah, and, and that's what's important. Absolutely, and I and I think that was the interesting part for me being you know two thirds of the way through with uh, and had just finished declared hostile was there was a lot more of the the jo interaction I felt in that book uh, and and in a sense the hostile jo <laughs> interaction uh, which to me was fascinating because a lot of people don't necessarily dwell on that they want everybody to be the high five and bros and gals and everybody having a good time and and you know we're all one team one fight forgetting that that there are personalities that are just never going to get along and and I tell the story of you know some aviators they're actually good friends of mine but I could not fly with that pilot. They just, everything we did in the cockpit was at odds. And we still were good friends, good drinking buddies, but just we couldn't mesh as a crew. Yes. Yeah, it, it happens. And it happens in single seat airplanes too. <laughs> but, uh, it, uh, hey, I, you know, you can whisper to the schedules officer or the office officer, hey, please don't schedule me that way again. And yeah, that's, that's reality. Yeah, we, we used to always laugh about that, the secret flight schedule, because you'd always have the, the master pairing that, uh, that the ops or the CO had written up, and then you'd have the secret hook your buddies up, never schedule them with that field grade ever again. <laughs> that kind of routine. <laughs> and then I guess I became that field grade coming back as an instructor where I'd have to walk into SCEDS after a while and go, guys, can I, can I not take the new guys out anymore? Can I, can I please go enjoy a flight and not feel like I'm the... Uh, the motherhood uh, of what's going on. So, so those are those are key parts of of your books that I really enjoy. Um, how would you kind of self evaluate? How do you think some of those stories have, in a sense, aged over time? As as you know, aviation isn't static. Aviation is always changing. So when people read it, they're going to read it with what's happening in the modern era, kind of overlaid on it. Um, even though the books are fairly recent, how how do you think your perspectives about what you've written have changed? Raven One takes place in uh, 
you know, 2007, 2008, when, when the surge is going on in, in Iraq. And uh, it, it, the book was published in uh, 2014, so six years later. The, uh, they're, still, they're still a carrier right now in the, in the Persian Gulf, some call it the Arabian Gulf. Uh, and so those guys are still flying. Um, they're not probably flying uh, into Iraq helping Marines uh, on, on the ground anymore. But they're there, and uh, and, and uh, Iran obviously is is still a uh, uh, not not a formal enemy, but we're not friends with Iran, and there's tensions, and we, we look at each other as we go through the Strait of Hormuz and all that. Um, so carriers are still being sent to that part of the world, and and squadrons with with human beings in them of all diverse types are are there, you know, trying to get along and and, and doing the job. I, I think that. Uh, I think that the stories of uh, you know, some of the scenarios in Raven One, uh, some of the combat scenarios, uh, still would would be, look very very similar today. Well, the interesting thing, you know, for me as I was reading Declared Hostile was I got pretty much to the almost to the end of the book, and I'm like, okay, got it. Another, you know, Venezuelan uh, military fantasy, and then my Fox News alert goes off and says. U.S. government says they will interdict Iranian missiles being sent to Venezuela. I'm like, damn it, caught again. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's, it it was good to to kind of give me that that juxtaposition that that as in a sense a reviewer or reader or whatever reading the book going, okay, I got it. I, I I know the conceit of this story of the the outside of it versus the message he's trying to communicate. And then it was funny that that very story became kind of real uh, in the news today. Yeah, and, and uh, there's a scenario where you know, you know, blackjacks fly down the east coast and go into Venezuela, and all oh, that will never happen. And then, yeah, so you know, months ago that did yeah, happen. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, uh, and and there are other scenarios, but declared hostile is in all the all the novels. Of course, they're novels; they're fiction. So, uh, fiction is a great vehicle. There's a place for fiction. What if? What if the United States actually fought the war on drugs? Right. How would that look? And and it could look many ways. Uh, and I I wrote one way that involves uh, a carrier and a carrier airline. Well, and I think it it always like good fiction um, in a sense gives you an ability to take various characters on various opposing sides, factions, whatever, and and communicate a thought process or communicate a way of looking at the world. Um, and so that was the. What I guess I took more out of reading uh, Declared Hostile was I could I could see the story and and I don't want to call it a morality play, but I'm going to call it a morality play. It's a it's an ethics of a law of armed combat and ethics kind of <laughs> morality play. But it was a it was a fascinating discussion of that, even though I had to go, yeah, yeah whatever. I'm not concerned about Venezuela. He, he could have written this about any other, you know, non non-standard combatant, non-governmental actor, and it would have had the same, you know, carried the same weight. So it was just funny for me to, to, to try to separate the two. And I really enjoyed um, the the discussion of those things and, and what some people consider sanctioned military action and what some people consider unsanctioned and, and how you really have to, sometimes the lines get blurred. Doug, thank you for for that compliment, I, and I'll, I'll I'll take morality play where that where that. There's so much. There's but always the, emotional baggage with that term, so I didn't want to use that. But that, that's really no, kind of no, what I'm, I felt I'm, at the end of the book. You know, I'm I'm good with it. And uh, in Venezuela, anything okay? You know, Venezuela. Come on, I mean, it's got it's got what two frontline fighter squadrons yeah. in the whole country, <laughs> and it's and it's you know some helicopters and some ships and good grief. And and yes, true. And I, and that that comes out in in the novel, but. But for the aviators that are flying in country, you know, even with a seventy-year-old, you know, triple-A piece shooting at you and hitting you, it, it's real. And right. uh, and you 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 jump out of your aircraft and, and now you have to evade. The uh, so so yeah, that, that you know, that, that's not much of a threat. But to the individuals that are going, and, and we can think of, you know, in the past 20, 30 years, you know, our, our careers and, and beyond. You know, many of these these nations that we have fought against haven't been much but when, when you're you know combat is combat exactly. and you got to be ready for it and and you could you know you, your day could turn or night could turn bad in an instant well and that's i think a lesson that 
America, especially as a military, sometimes forgets just because since the end of the Second World War, we have been so powerful. Even even at the, the nadir of our capability, we we're more powerful than 80% of the other, 90% of the other countries uh, on the face of the globe. So the problem is sometimes you forget that it really doesn't matter when it is individual versus individual. You know, that that that, that Mosin Nagant 1900 sniper rifle can still kill you just as easily on the battlefield as, you know, the... The brand new, you know, AK-101 firing, you know, different kinds of cartridges. So it's uh, it's it's really fascinating to to look at things kind of through through some of that lens. And it's a it's an easy enemy in the sense that they think easy enemy. It's Venezuela, but it's a it's a good background for for something that's still a viable threat. I've got a question about the the threats in in Raven One is is Iran, Kevin. What kind of open sources were you able to? referenced kind of build up the picture of you know how good the threat was or the most realistic threat iran posed in 2008 yeah yeah there's a lot out there uh on on the web and and uh you know wikipedia certainly has got uh has got breakdowns on on the on the order of battle if you will and uh and you can go to to you know any defense contractor open source uh hey we'll, we'll sell this to you and and it has has some discussion there, so there's a lot of a lot of sources. Um, uh, having spent years of my life in that region, I, I have a pretty good understanding of, of the uh, of the geopolitics of it, and I have an understanding of, of the uh, you know there's there's Sunni and Shiite, there's Arab and Persian, and and to, to many many Americans, well, it's all the same, and, and no, it's not, and, and and we know it's not, but but uh, you can you know you can explain that in, in a novel. Uh, in, just in, in dialogue, or, or maybe maybe a few paragraphs of, of uh, you know being the om, omnipotent narrator explaining it, but then you get right back to the, to the squadron JOs, uh, you know, arguing with each other. So so yeah, it was it was uh, it was pretty. Easy. It was a challenge for me in fight fight. Uh, uh, the Western Pacific is uh, is I never deployed there. I was always a you know Atlantic Fleet sailor. And, you know, all roads lead <laughs> all roads lead to uh, the Suez Canal and, and the uh, and CENTCOM. But uh, but so I, I learned a lot about the geopolitics of the region and the people of the region and, and how uh, and how they they view the world and, and then you can you can think you know about uh, scenarios you know okay here, here's this new wonder weapon let's say it's fielded. How about the wonder weapons that I learned about uh, 20 years ago when I was at the Naval War College that we did not field? You know, what have we had, and what have we had them now? So again, you can you can use uh, the fiction vehicle and have fun with it. Well, absolutely. I, th- I think there's a fascinating piece to how you sometimes tell the story without being condescending, and and I find a lot less in your writing than in other authors writing the. The voice of the book's narrator, which is which is nice that I don't have to have that because sometimes that becomes just super condescending to me and, and super weighty. And I'm like, I got it. I don't need to know the geopolitical history of Trinidad for the last 50 years. Just tell me what <laughs> island he's on. You know? <laughs> so there's 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 an element I, of that. I hear you. The, the, the uh, you know, uh, you know, flip taxi to F-A-18C Hornet to catapult one a steam catapult <laughs> 330 feet exactly. long that would propel him from zero to 200 knots I, yeah i don't need that so it's it's yeah that's right it's refreshing and, and, and to, even, to get that but you know you uh, and, and people that are interested in aviation have some kind of background and and so okay yeah i got it but even if you have no background if you know okay i i, I saw i saw top gun i i guess a catapult flings these airplanes off the front and, and i'm good so so our flip, our, our hero is gonna is gonna take off now, and then we'll see what happens. So let's talk a little bit yeah. about bringing that that story out to people, because obviously for most people that are that are consuming aviation things, they play flight simulators. So uh, you have uh, some material out there for a variety of flight sims, specifically DCS. What do you want to uh, tell us about that? About three years ago, I noticed through my uh, Amazon reviews uh, that this term DCS, and, and so the Raven One was getting lots of nice attention, and reviewers say this is great as a DCS player. I love this type of immersion, and so I, I was contacted 
and uh, by, by someone in, in the DCS world and in someone I didn't know, and I'm, I'm not sure what, what all this is. Um, then uh, uh, Jello in the Fighter Pilot podcast, uh, whom I had done an episode with a couple of years ago. And uh, so we, we had met, and, and obviously when we did that. And uh, he said, "Hey, I'm, I'm talking to I'm talking to this guy, uh, and they want to do a video adaptation of, of Raven One, and we'd like to work with you." So we we, we talked, and and uh, I met uh, virtually uh, Baltic Dragon, right? And uh, so it was an 18 month uh, process where uh, uh, Baltic Dragon would would put together a, a scenario and then send us a spreadsheet, uh, Jello and I, and uh, and, and Rob, and, and we go through this and we say, okay, yeah, that's accurate. That's, that's realistic. That's, that's how we would talk. No, no, we wouldn't say it like that. We would use another word or, and, and it was, it was really an interesting and fun process. And I was just so impressed with the, with, with, with BD who, who is, this is uh, from Poland and uh, his, his, his command of the English language and, and also his, his knowledge of, of tactical aviation and carrier aviation. And he, and uh, he said, "No, no, tell me, tell me if it's not quite right. If uh, if you guys, you know, would use another word." Um, and uh, anyway, a fascinating process. And and the, the game came out uh, in mid August. I I hear it's doing well. You know, positive reviews on on YouTube and all that. Well, good. And and I have to pick on yeah, you. I, oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Rob. No, I'll jump in. I'm actually. Uh, I'd love to play it on DCS. If some one of you guys could teach me how to start the engines, I've been. I've <laughs> Steve had it, and I are agreeing. I've had it that. for like three or four years now. I can't start the engines, but I'd, <laughs> I'd love to try it out. Definitely. <laughs> uh, ask your playing captain. Yeah, exactly. Well, so so I I do have to laugh as you talk about the communications because if there's one part that that I guess I I just glossed over in Raven One or or there there wasn't as much of it. The toughest part for me to read of your book is any intercept comm. And that simply comes, as you know, from being a fighter guy and being an instructor. And I cannot read a sentence of intercept comm without, in my mind, going, no. That's group bull 325 15 15,000 track south hostile <laughs> and self-correcting everything that every one of your aviators say, which is really a stupid waste of time and brain power. Um, but just so funny that that there are things that are ingrained in our community, uh, such as communications and nitpicking communications for no good reason other than making ourselves that much more precise on the radio. I can't turn that off on reading your books, and I don't know why. I could, I, I think I could probably watch it. Actually, I know I could watch it in a movie because I could watch something like Transformers where they just slaughter the air-to-air communication, and it doesn't bother me. But if I read the words printed, I will immediately in my mind think of a correction. And it's just, it's a, it's a funny uh, limitation of mine, I guess. I hate to say it. Well, I can't take full credit for uh, for all the all the uh, um, watered down calm. I, I wasn't I wasn't uh, all, all that good a calm brevity guy. Uh, but but it was you, you make it you make it uh, as readable as possible. But again, the reader's going to have to catch up or, or stay up. Well, and and if you and, made it exactly if, with all of the calm calls, my God, it'd be a boring book. Because there'd be a lot of words and terms that's no right. one care about, you know. It, that's right, and people people would just say, "Okay, uncle, enough." I yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and so, uh, so you just have to that that balance uh, where you know immersive enough, but but not too much. And, Absolutely. Well, so we understand you why know, you would I'll, create a a video game adaptation, but Rob, you guys are doing a miniature game adaptation. I mean, come on, who plays miniature games anyway? Says the guy with the podcast about, club. <laughs> about right. games. I, th- I think my collection rivals your collection. Oh, uh, yeah, in, about, in sadly, I'm sure it does. Size and expense. Uh, yeah, so, you know, going through uh, Kevin's books, I was always just thinking in the back of my head, boy, this would make great air combat miniatures game. And uh, I was really inspired by the work uh, Baltic Dragon did. And and I'm not a DCS player, but there's some great YouTube uh, previews that Baltic Dragon made. And then his his users, his his customers, are actually starting to record their missions. So, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of lengthy, but I, I did spot watch a couple of them. And I mean, the graphics are just incredible. And like Steve, I probably couldn't even start the jet on the on the deck. So I'm, I'm happy to just play with the painted toys but uh 
I got to thinking Raven One would make a good campaign uh, for miniature tabletop. The difference, and and I contacted Kevin early on in our process, and I said I'd like to do this, and uh, you know, to get his uh, uh, permission, and then his his tremendous assistance in the project. And I explained it to Kevin. I said DCS is cradle to grave the mission. You start the jet, you you fly the mission. And then you come back and land, you know, and I explain in our world of, of miniature tabletop air combat games, we're pretty much the merge or we're the roll in on target. You know, the whole game is effectively two or three minutes of the whole and, mission. And I think you have summarized right there why I don't do DCS, because sure, I, I, I love video games and I love aviation video games. And I have friends that are in DCS squadrons that debrief and have flight lead calls and have workups and evaluations. <laughs> I'm like, I did that for 20 wow. years. I don't need that. <laughs> I, I, don't, yeah. I want to go have a little bit of fun, feel I'm doing something aviation. And and, and truly, yeah. that's that's why I do board games instead of video games for a lot of this. I'll tell you what, I'll interject there, man. A couple of years ago, I was in a Pacific World War II online fighter squadron. And I was like, man, my wife gives me like an hour to play. If I have to sit through a, a, a 40 minute debrief, this just isn't yeah. going to work, man. <laughs> I don't think I can do that. I didn't sign up for this. Well, I, and I'm going to date myself by saying when I went through the the FRS, through the RAG out at 101 uh, in El Toro, California. Yes, it wasn't at Miramar, uh, but went through the F-18 squadron for the Marines. Uh, that at that time we had Hornet 3.0 on the PC and it was as good as 95% of the things we could do in our big domed simulator, but I was just looking at an LCD screen instead of inside an immersive dome with a full cockpit. But to be honest, that even at that time was much more useful for a couple of us to get LinkedIn and network together and just go through the stupid little stuff like the communication or the the, the aircraft geometry uh, that was more useful than, than turning on the multi-million dollar simulator that you had to fight with, you know, a hundred other students to get into. That's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, it was it was fun. It was uh, nothing at all graphics wise like things are now, but but it was still yeah. still impressive. So so okay, dusty old men might want to simulate uh, something out of Raven One because they might have read it. So <laughs> yeah, so uh, you know, Kevin's book has probably more adventures occurring to one squadron on one deployment than we've had in in the last fifty years. But uh, it, it makes a great read. It's a tremendous book, and. Being in a, a book format, you can really, as you read it, you can extract these various missions and, you know, one complete uh, the the series of initial counterstrikes that the Naval Air Wing does really breaks down into a couple packages. And just on careful reading, and I used the uh, Kindle version so I could easily search and get to certain areas of the book quickly, I basically mapped out a storyboard. And initially it was 10, but but of course, we had scope creep, and it turned into 11 discrete scenarios, some of which actually combined. So that, for example, the first strike is, is made up of, of several different flights. You can run each flight as a unique scenario, or if you're crazy, like some people are, you can combine them and do the full, you know, 12-plane, three-flight uh, uh, mission. And this inspired by the book, what we had to do was adapt it to our rule set, which is Check Your Six, Jet Age, uh, which was written about 10 years ago uh, by Scott Fisher and, and Skirmish Campaigns. And it, it's it's a complimentary rule set. Uh, you know, Blood Red Skies uh, has been out for, what, about a year and a half, yeah, two, two years, years maybe. Yeah. And I think it's doing a great job of bringing in new, new uh uh, players to the hobby checker six is a little more uh mature but it, it's it's not really developing you know scott made essentially a toolkit so developing the raven one campaign was a, a perfect extension of of the toolkit for the the modern audience and we part of the challenge was we had to bring in 21st century warfare well, that's, because that's what the, i was going to ask about because you you yeah. read the the jet age rules and it kind of stops and it it really yep. doesn't address a lot of what i'll call mid to late 2000s kind of warfare and so you're kind of left hanging uh so so yep. how did you how did you introduce some elements there for certain precision munitions and and other things that were in the that weren't in the baseline rules well, 
the first thing that occurred to us was a lot of these missions in in Kevin's uh, uh, book happen at night, and there's absolutely no provision in Checker Six Jet Age for night combat. So we just started. Eh, it's just like daytime the with the lights out. It's easy, <laughs> right, Kevin? Flying at night, dropping weapons. Pff, yeah, no, it's child's no play. Sure. <laughs> We started looking at the rules going, okay, how can we deal with this? And, um, you know, looking at what tools do we have available? So, for example, taking gunshots at night, you know, we had discussion, should this be allowed? And, you know, my my partner in Fights On is a, is a Marine Corps uh, F-18A aviator. And he said, sure, if you get uh, a radar lock against, you know, essentially a, 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 a non- uh, deflection target and you're wearing NVGs, sure, you could do it. It's not going to be easy. It's certainly not as easy as daytime. So we started making little modifications like that. Um, radar homing missiles uh, always require a lock-on, which is in the rules. But an infrared missile in the rules does not require a lock-on because it doesn't, right? It's it's tracking a heat signature. But what we wrote into the rules is in night combat, if you wish to fire an IR missile like a like an, uh, Sidewinder, you do need that radar lock. So you get the situational awareness of where the guy is and you're able to employ the weapon. And so we, we kind of operated in the parameters of the rule set that we had and expanded it just one degree to bring in some of these elements. Now, guided weapons, JDAMs, Basically, we looked at the best weapons, which were like Paveway in the rule set, and then we just kind of made them a little better, you know, maybe by one or two factors. Well, so part of that, when you, when you had to go through, was you, you, there's weapons in there that really aren't modeled. I'm not sure what the term I want to use. I don't want to say accurately, because everything in the game is going to be a compromise. But there's things that you also had to kind of change how how it was done because it didn't really give the feel you wanted, uh, like specifically the Maverick and, and some other things that may have kind of been laser beam kind of weapons and, and would fly much faster than they, they really do in, in real life. Yeah, Maverick, well, uh, I actually called you, Doug, yeah, since exactly. you have- I might have shot it, a few of those in combat. <laughs> you, have, you have employed Maverick, and you gave me some great feedback that it's a slow weapon. It is. Uh, so we incorporated that uh, into our rules uh, for employment of the Maverick. We gave it a, a limited uh, speed, uh, which is approximately a, a jet speed, right? It, it's not a hypersonic weapon. Right. And uh, because it's a laser-guided weapon in the scenario that it features, uh, which players will enjoy, it's actually hunting uh, Iranian Guard Corps fast boats with uh, with Mavericks off of Harriers. Uh, that that airplane shall never be spoken of again on this podcast. <laughs> we don't talk about them. The, the, the pride of the Marine Corps aviation. Oh, no, no. Just, we, will, we will also not talk about Kevin's previous combat aircraft, the one that filled out the VA squadrons. We, we don't talk about those airplanes. <laughs> we refer to him as an F-18 pilot. <laughs> but we did put some parameters uh, in about maintaining your, your laser focus uh, on the target so that you can't just fire your slow-moving slow Maverick and then uh, boldly turn away and and complete the mission you know you still have to linger and you're not able to make extreme turns because your laser designator has to keep the spot i always tell people that it was the the weirdest part of shooting a maverick was you felt like you were going to get to the target before the missile did um and and it was just one of those problems of in combat flying as fast as you can to minimize the enemy's threat your ranges and threat envelopes they can shoot at you um and then this poor maverick missile comes off and has to make its way to wherever your your laser energy is uh, it, it, you really felt like you were overrunning the target, no matter what you did. And, and we had, we had aircrew do some really stupid things at times, such as, uh, slow down. Uh, and so when you're predictable, providing a, la- a laser spot, the last thing you want to do is cut 200 knots off your top end speed and get really slow. Um, but people would do things because it just, it, it was, it was not like shooting an AMRAM or some other missile that was really, you know, multi, multi supersonic. <laughs> And uh, similar, the GBU-16, which is essentially a laser-guided thousand-pound bomb, we have the same uh, similar parameters where you you have to maintain your laser designator uh, on target and you can't make extreme maneuvers. 
and tying it back to Raven One, that this exactly happened to the primary character Flip in the uh, the final uh, mission over a, 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 a missile factory. That you know he's caught in that pickle. He's being shot at by surface air missiles. He's got incoming uh, enemy bandits. And he's got to sit there with his laser designator on target. It's a very dramatic scene. No spoilers here. But, you know, we've modeled that in the rules. You've got to do that, too. You just can't drop your bomb and, you know, split us away, you know? Right. Well, I, th- I think Kevin will tell you as well, the, the longest 10 seconds of your life is when it counts from TTI 10 to TTI 0 on your on your flare display. <laughs> as you, There's you not bet. a whole lot you can do. Yes. The, the term that we've heard before, you're, you're on government yeah. time. But, but let me let let me say here though that I was so impressed with what Rob sent me as far as the the, the scenario packages in it were constraints that you have to live with in aviation and you have so much fuel you have so many missiles you have so many uh, weapons typically a low you know uh, uh, single digit number. And uh, and you gotta you gotta deal with it, and then you've gotta you know there's there's a, you have to rendezvous with your package, and uh, there's maybe tanking, and 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 then the enemy has got a threat, and there's contingencies, and, and all of this can be found in uh, in, in check your six. Yeah, I, uh, I, was, I was very impressed. absolutely, and that's one of the tough things to put into a lot of these games that don't model. Uh, you know, going to the big wing tankers for fuel. They don't model, you know, do I have pre or post mission tanking? What do each of those buy me? I know we've talked a lot about it with the Blood Red Skies Vietnam and, and how to make that uh, both easy for the player to understand, but still make it have an impact on whether, hey, do I need to decide to leave the fight so I can run home to Thailand or can I go plug over the tanker over Laos? Um, but I, I do have to say it's, it's one of those other funny things, the, the other things you can never take out of yourself. Uh, Kevin, if you had never mentioned a fuel state in any of your books, I'd be a happier man. And it, and it generally wasn't bad because it was only one aircraft initially. It was, you know, so-and-so has 4,000 pounds of fuel and my brain would automatically do the math. Um, you about drove me to drink at eight o'clock in the morning, uh, when you had a Rhino, uh, two legacy, three legacy Hornets and, uh, two Growlers all going to two tankers, each with separate loads. And you had to put all the numbers out there. And all of a sudden, my mission commander brain, you know, with, with less than a <laughs> cup of coffee in it, started churning on, well, hey, wait a minute. How much time is that for a rhino? And how much time is that for a legacy? And they said, stop. It's a book. He'll tell me shortly. <laughs> 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 and thankfully, you did. You you had, you know, the, the I think it was the growlers got uh, got sent home. Or it was actually the other rhinos got sent home. And only uh, only three or four aircraft plugged. And then, you know, the characters did the math for me. But but I, I couldn't stop churning well, like, on I it. Guess- <laughs> Maybe there was a memory that you were trying to repress. (laughs) I will be honest. So here's the funny part about being a retired aircrew mission commander. I, in a sense, that is that has to be the most stress inducing part of the book for me. Reading the combat scenes, I can visualize them. That's fine. But some of the fuel calculations, uh, divert decisions, some of the things you talk about in mission planning. I'm like, this is why I'm glad I don't fly military aviation anymore, because it's it's a. 10,000 things you're going to get wrong. I just need to get about a hundred of them right, not to put an airplane in the water. Uh, but you know, you're, you know, there's going to be things you don't account for, uh, whether it's SAR frequencies, fuel loads, weather divert plans, things like that, that just get in your loop. Doug, in, let in me, real life. Uh, oh, I, I'm sorry. Uh, that's all right. No, please, Gavin, finish that. Well, in, in, in real life, there's a, you know, the, the strike planners checklist, which is, 10 pages, <laughs> yes. a very, very, very small font with, with all the, you know, all the different packages, their aircraft, and then there's the weather discussion, the enemy order of battle, and there's just a thousand things to do. And you've got like 36 hours to do it. Uh, yeah, I, I glossed over all of that for the reader. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for saving the, our pain. Rob, go ahead. One of the one of the things I wanted to describe just to to match it back to Blood Red Skies is in these check your six scenarios for the Raven One campaign, you know, there's the basic setup, what's going on, order battle, etc. But each scenario has its own scenario specific rules, which typically are environmental or threat conditions that are going on. So for example, one scenario specific rule might say, well, there are eight AAA sites here and two of them are radar guided. Okay. 
And that will always be consistent when you play that scenario. But there are also variable rules for each side in every scenario. So the variable rules, I would compare them to your tactics cards right. or your, what do you call the, the other cards, style? Theater cards, doctrine cards. Like exactly. So on a parallel level, for example, in one scenario that, that I'm looking at, uh, a variable rule on the Navy side would be, and we always try to come up with clever titles for the variable rules just for that, you know, beer and pretzel laugh. So a, a part of the plot in one of the raids is the JDAMs don't work mysteriously, okay? It's never explained in the book, but doesn't need to be, right? It's just the GPS doesn't work. So we, our variable rule was it, Jim. No GPS, you know, nice. riffing on <laughs> yeah. the da damage him, right? And then uh, on the Iranian side of that mission, we tried to just play around with the the radar directed AAA, like some additional ones are radar directed, or perhaps all of the the AAA crews are kind of asleep, not really expecting this raid, so their ability to engage is delayed. And these are variable, meaning you roll a d10 die before the scenario to see which of these variable rules apply in the game you're about to play so now rob wait 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 one minute does this mean yes. that star trek geeks also play this game <laughs> personally i'm a star wars guy but hey i, I like anybody who's into uh, y'all are all fiction. a bunch of dorks <laughs> <laughs> um but we also tie in with a lot of uh, 80s and 90s song titles. Uh, so we would use like Tainted Love or Radar Love as, as song titles in these variable roles. So there's a lot of hidden gems. Uh, and the, the last uh, hidden gem I'll mention is all of the missions have named flight crews in the pilot positions. We didn't fill out the, the WSOs because they don't matter, right? Yeah. Okay. You can but, keep saying uh, that. <laughs> See if we invite you but, back. Uh, come, and come back anytime. <laughs> but we got all the pilots named and we used the actual character names and call signs just for fun right out of the book. But a lot of these uh, squadrons and pilots – are not mentioned in the book. So we just had to make them up. So we did a cool thing is we went out to the uh, fights on customer list and I just kind of sorted it of who were our top customers in the last year. And then I emailed a lot of these people and I said, Hey, we're putting together this scenario book uh, for check your six. Would you mind if we used your name or an approximation of it? And universally, everybody said, yeah. Now what was funny is some of them, replied yeah and said i want my call sign to be this or i no, want no, my no. call sign this to is be naval you know, aviation. You <laughs> exactly so you know my my business partner sandy the, being the the real the real aviator he's like no 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 and he and i had a good time usually over text and i would like give up some guy's name i'm like okay, here's the dude's name. And we would come up with the call sign and some of them are off the wall. Some of them are just kind of inside jokes. None are insulting, but uh, we, we are going to enjoy our customers seeing the, the call signs that we have assigned to them. Well, I, I have to like, and I like the, uh, the one, uh, the one flight call sign. I mean, I mean, you know, there's, there's hammer flight and ramrod flight and all that, but uh, I came across Poe flight as in Edgar Allan Poe. Yes. Well, the Ravens, uh, right? Uh, that's right. I, I thought, uh, yeah, that, that was good. That, that sounds a lot better on the radio than Nevermore. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you know, it wouldn't be an aviation podcast without a sea story. So the funniest call sign day, uh, and I don't know how the carrier pulled it off. Good on them. Uh, but I'm there on the ground in Afghanistan as a forward air controller, uh, checking an aircraft to call down a JDAM strike. And... The, the names just are sort of ringing a bell on the on the flight call signs. It's, it's kind of weird. They're, they're kind of following a pattern. And then a flight of two F-18s checks in. And I swear the guy says, Hanky 9-1. And I'm like, I, I must have misheard him. My, my radio must have glitched. I'm like, uh, is that Yankee 9-1? He goes, no, Hanky. And so I keep the mic <laughs> and say, uh, like, Mr. Hanky the Christmas poo? 
And they come back, God damn it, yes, like Mr. Hanky the Christmas Pooh. <laughs> like, all right, Hanky, uh, go ahead and take an overhead pattern. <laughs> I hope you replied, howdy ho. You know, I, there, was, there was a moment where I'm like, I've got to put this radio call back on the professional track because everybody's <laughs> listening. And, and, and there's a moment as a forward air controller where you really want to try to be funny, but then you realize, okay, if I screw it up while I'm being funny, then then nobody's going to give me any uh, any slack for that. So uh, immediately put everything back in my super professional box. Harumph! Here's your JDM coordinates. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there there were some days that they uh, they slipped them past the Air Force guys in the Kayak and had pretty funny call signs. Well, God bless the facts. They take take care of us. You know, it was a fun job. I and like we talked about last time. I. My favorite 13 months of my Marine Corps career was being a ground fac. Uh, and, and that's, that's I guess, one of the things that, that I would love to see modeled a little bit better in Blood Red Skies is the interaction with the facts. But we just sort of have a little bit of air to ground, not near as much as, uh, as some other game systems uh, have built into them. Well, just to touch on that and bring it back to Raven 1, that was a great part of the book is the kind of the degree of separation but yet the relationship between the 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 fact on the ground and flip on the uh, mission over iraq that was a really great inspirational part it's, of the book it's, it's interesting to for me to read it you know having flown both sides uh, been on the ground and been in the air for for fact missions uh so it's it's interesting to see how that that all gets worked out and i'm going to ask the leading question is there a scenario for that in your scenario pack no, actually, I didn't touch on the the Iraq stuff. It, it just it didn't have enough action. I mean, it's a, a <laughs> Not permissive. <laughs> well, it's a permissive air environment, right? I mean, so so that's much to that's it. the part I've never found how to to simulate in check your six that how to challenge someone with a permissive mission. As Kevin will tell you, sometimes those missions that had low threat to us as the aviators were extremely high stress to us. And, and especially when you're dropping in close proximity for a forward air controller, uh, live weapons, even, even in training, not just in combat. I know the most stressful flights I'd have as an instructor would be the first night close air support mission we would do to weapons and tactics course because everyone's still kind of getting back into the, the scheme of things. And now you're going out with live ordnance at night, dropping close to friendlies on the ground in training. And all of a sudden your bucket gets pretty full, right, Kevin? <laughs> Exactly. And like our Venezuela discussion, um, you know, you have a, you know, maybe a, a benign mission, you know, it's not World War Three, but to the guys on the ground, as you know, Doug, I mean, I really need a bomb here right yeah. now. please. <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, it's so there's, there's pressure in the cockpit. Okay. We got to help these guys. And then, uh, of course, if you're, you know, a handheld Sam, whoa, where did that come from? I mean, so yeah, the, 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 uh, the action, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's kind of a little bit. Get ratchet it up very fast. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, not to spoil anything for anyone out of uh, out of declared hostile, but there's there's points that I was reading it as both a U.S. Marine and as a forward air controller, and as a guy who'd been a forward air controller airborne, going, oh geez, my hostile matrix is already satisfied. I would have I would have shot this target on the ground a long time ago. But it's just it's everybody in aviation always has different levels of risk and different levels of, of aggressiveness they go into a certain situation with. So it was it was kind of funny to me to get to the end of the book and go, I wouldn't have been asking questions in some of those things. But uh, but it's just it's all based on experience. Well, you can rest assured there is a definite hostile air environment in the Raven Hood campaign yeah, good, good. <laughs> over Iran. <laughs> <laughs> and the Gulf of Oman. Yeah, so, so, we had a couple. So scenarios let's talk about there. a little bit of that with uh, you know fighting a campaign that isn't something necessarily always modeled by people. So uh, models. Speaking of the word modeling, uh, what what models do you guys recommend? What have you looked at for for doing your own part of that campaign? Yeah, this was interesting because the you know the the mo- the market for pewter air models, which I mainly enjoy, really kind of stops with uh, the Cold War. There's not a whole lot of 21st century options. For example, you you really can't get a Super Hornet uh, in pewter. So I look to the plastic uh, model market. And there's companies like Tamaya and a, a new Chinese model company called Trumpeter. And they actually sell almost every single aircraft you would need to play this campaign. And it's in the uh, ship model scale of 1 to 350 scale. So you still get a nice uh, F-18 jet that's about an inch and a quarter, uh, 
long and you can get some nice decals in the one 300 kind of micro armor scale uh, because that's what most of my collection is, the 1300, 1285. But even at 1350, just putting a, a star and bar in uh, outline form or navy on the side, it, it's still quite doable and, and looks nice. Well, I think you just piqued Steve's to- interest there. So, Steve, you're taking note of all the, the aircraft <laughs> that don't exist at 1200 scale. <laughs> yeah. Well, the Iranian order of battle is great because it's F-4s, yeah, F-14s, and MiG-29s. And those are all available uh, in the plastic model kit scale at 1350. And certainly at 1200 with a skilled 3D modeler, you could uh, you could crank those out. There's one interesting plane it's, uh, that's featured. It's a, a MiG prototype that I actually had to go to Shapeways to find because you know, nobody makes it. Right. Uh, right. But it features prominently in the stories. So uh, you got to have yeah, the MiG prototype. I was, I was surprised uh, how, where you would find that yeah. one. It doesn't surprise me that's on Shapeways is the only place you could yep. find it. <laughs> one Shapeways guys make it. Thanks, yep. Kevin, for putting and, a, uh, a a prototype MiG in your story there. <laughs> amazing. That, amazing that there's a model of it. I mean, you know, the, the, the prototype, I, uh, again, got, got on the web. Okay, what what's, uh, what's a, uh, you know, a, a Russian design that, that's, that didn't see the production line and, and found one? And, yeah. Well, it's been funny. So a totally separate project I've been working on has has come back around to looking at some of those MIGs. And I had to go out there because I had to do my own research. And I'm like, I think I know what what the capabilities were. But I'll be honest, I stopped looking at it when it ever left the prototype stage. (laughs) And so I even had to go out there and use the, you know, as some sources say, in other words, Wikipedia, uh, use that (laughs) as my jumping off point to, to figure out what I, you know, did and didn't know about why this airplane had never been produced. Yeah, we had to do the same thing to come up with stats with it. Try try statting up a plane for a game that never really existed. Oh, exactly. So <laughs> so there's yeah, there's an entire expansion to this one thing I'm working on that is all good thing. This is all fiction. Yeah, exactly. It's all things like XB seventies and MIG, you know, one forty fours and one forty two. I'm waiting for rivet counters heads to explode. Yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> you can write any stats you want. Pl- I mean, who's gonna tell me if the plane what- never existed, what do you argue? Yeah, exactly. About, right? Someone's gonna, gonna argue with my EW stats for the XB seventy. There's enough, you know, stuff I could have stuck in there. That's I right. Can, I could have it have any jammer I want. So yeah. I just went to a SU-27 and beefed it yeah, up. Yeah, that's, that's probably, a, probably a good guess at that point. And, and the rules author for uh, Checker 6, Scott Fisher, he has a great quote we say all the time. Hey, if you don't like something, then just change yeah, it. Yeah, No no one's going to come pick up your copy of the rule book and tear it up. That's, that's what I do to Steve. <laughs> exactly. I, I tear up his copy of the rule book. <laughs> There's no such thing as an illegal game of yeah, Checker exactly. 6. You can do anything you want. It's a toolkit. Absolutely. Okay, is there anything else you want to say about the expansion, the rules themselves, before we, we kind of tie everything up here since we've been talking for almost an hour? We, we just had a lot of fun doing it. Kevin, thank you for your help uh, with lots of good edits and reviews. Uh, Sandy gave me a lot of help, edits and reviews. And Doug, I appreciate the time you spent with me uh, talking about night and uh, night combat and weapon employment. And uh, the last comment I'll make is just kind of a teaser. When I bought the uh, trumpeter kit for a Marine air group just to get the plane, which cannot be mentioned, the flying brick, uh, it came with some super cobras and a sea knight. And that's our scope creep. I said, hey, I can write a scenario with all helicopters in it. So I did. That's always always funny to see via Check Your Six to end up with helicopters. Yes, there is a all attack helicopter scenario included as a part of a scope creep that we really enjoyed writing up. Well, excellent. Well, hey Rob, I just want to say how impressed uh, I was with with not only how you put this campaign together, uh, but how how true you were to the book. And and uh, I, I thank you for that. Um, and uh, I think that uh, sure a lot, a lot of the players will will, will have read the book and. And uh, and this will this will make sense to them. They'll have fun with it. You bet. Thanks, Kevin. Yeah, I hope everybody reads this book and enjoys it and wants to buy the campaign and play the book. Well, Kevin, it's not just enough that you have a video game after the book. You have board game or miniatures games after the book. Uh, apparently, need people need swag. So I hear a rumor there's a Raven One gear site. What can you tell us about that? You know who knew, um, but but yes, uh, uh, and this is for my, uh, my my partners at BVR Productions uh, took the lead on this. So uh, Teespring, 
dot com teespring and then i guess you can type in raven one it'll take you to the to the the raven one merch and uh so all the there, there's t-shirts and and stuff uh phone cases with uh with the raven one squadron emblem uh Hey, if it works for Disney and Frozen, why can't it work for Raven One? That's, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I got to tell you, after this podcast, I'm ready to go out and get a new tattoo yeah. tomorrow. Just send me that artwork. I'm going I'm to join right up, man. Well, I, I can only say this after having stood there at Universal with my wife looking at cell phone cases for I, I don't know how long and going through all the build your own cell phone cases where I finally looked at her and I'm like, just pick something. But but yeah, I mean, people people want swag they want merch they want stuff that's branded with things that that mean something to them and if they've invested emotionally in the characters in the raven one series then obviously people are going to want patches and that insignia everywhere and i forgot to mention as a, as a side of our times you can even get a raven one covid mask if you want <laughs> excellent excellent <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> hey well i can put the shameless plug in if you if you go out and you buy your your raven one mask and then you need something a little more historical you can go to lead pursuit and buy our p40 warhawk mask with our uh, our big shark's mouth for uh, for flying tigers outstanding <laughs> so it, it seems like everybody's got their their covid mask out there now which is uh, which is kind of fun it's it's a thing yeah, now it, you know we'll see how long it lasts I, i'll be honest if I if I still have a stock of these masks at the end of COVID, I'll be happy because it means that everything ended sooner rather than later. So it's one of those things. Well, thanks, guys. I really appreciate appreciate everyone coming on. Steve, any parting comments, questions on your end, other than you're now signing up to be a member of the Raven One DCS Squadron? Yeah, I'm gonna have to you know break out the old Hotas again to get back on DCS <laughs> and uh, yeah, lo- looking looking forward to the books. You know, I gotta catch up with them. They sound good. What was it? There's a World War Two one, Silver, Silver Waterfall, Waterfall or something that, like that. That's too? a Midway based one, um, and so it's cool. It's, it's all all good reading, and I'll make my pitch. I don't know how it how it uh, helps authors, hurts authors. I I'm enjoying Kindle Unlimited right now because I'm paying a standard flat fee and I'm able to go out there and and look at a lot of books. I'm sure it doesn't help Kevin's revenue stream the same as. Uh, no 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 it, it <laughs> okay, does it okay does. And, and so anything and, and, yeah all, all of that is is fine and ha- however you and and readers listeners want uh, we we got something for you yeah absolutely because I, that's allowed me to consume those books and it's in a sense like a like a uh, paid library card. I check out a bunch of books. I read through them. I turn them back in. Uh, Kindle saves my notes. So uh, on a lot of the books where I've made you know, commentary for scenarios and for other things, uh, that's all there. So all I have to do is re-download the book and, and all that's available. So uh, definitely everyone go out there. Uh, take a look at uh, Kevin Miller's books. We've talked about them a couple of times. Um, they're definitely worth a read. They obviously inspire a lot of gameplay uh, on a lot of variety of different, uh, different rule sets. And maybe one of these days, uh, Rob will sucker Steve and I into playing Check Your Six. I know you've uh, you've only asked us about forty thousand times. Hey, gathering the beagles, <laughs> I'll bring it with me. You should, and that that is actually a serious, absolute. You should, because because GOE is not just about Blood Red Skies. Yes, it yeah, is. You it's, bet. it's the primary focus, but we play Team Yankee. We've played you know thirty k, forty k, Heresy, a lot of different games. Uh, it's a chance just for everybody to get together, meet in person, uh, drink some beer, play some war games. Uh, and generally have a good time. So speaking of that, Steve, any tipper, anything maybe coming up for you? Yeah, good call, man. Great, great segue. Yeah, no, it's, it's what we, people pay me on this podcast this to podcast do. Oh, wait, no, they don't pay me anything on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, so we're looking to do, hopefully, a tentative date. We're trying to work out the location, uh, actually, kind of as we speak right now, the weekend of December fifth so saturday december 5th uh hopefully uh we had mythco studios uh mythic uh, america games on a couple weeks ago i got the chance to head out to their shop check out their shop if you're in the northeast and you're into any type of tabletop gaming check out mythico studios absolutely awesome place to game but we're hoping that weekend of december 5th Definitely the Saturday, possibly Saturday, Sunday, putting together a kind of miniature gathering of eagles. Uh, and kind of the same thing we, uh, you know, the same mindset that we had when we were in Indianapolis. If we get six people, if we get 10 people, you know, it, whatever we get, we get. We're going to put on a little tournament, have some fun, just to, you know, keep keep chipping away at that big block of ice of COVID, right? Keep chipping Absolutely. away, get guys out there, get guys playing. Well, well and, and here's uh, the great thing. Do it's, it safe and let's do it's, it. 
it's wintertime and it's going to be in Jersey, Pennsylvania area. So you don't have to deal with me. I am not leaving the Southeast in the middle of winter. You guys can, I don't care how much beer and gaming is going on up there. I'm not going. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, can't, can't blame me for that. Certainly. You always have fun with that. No, seriously. So everyone, so maybe we just move the whole thing on down there, well, right? So, and I, just I, open up the house. We'll be, we'll see you there. Come then. on over everyone. You know, everyone's welcome. I, <laughs> we may be playing outside in the uh, back patio with the way my house is going right now. Uh, but, but here's the other thing is, so there may also be around the, uh, the end of the year, uh, down in, uh, in Florida, there may also be another small gathering of Eagles. So we're trying to hit both the Northeast and the Southeast. Uh, and we'll see where we go from there with uh, the GOE events in 2021. But I encourage everyone to stay you know, tuned into us on uh, all the podcast channels that you can. Uh, like and review. Give us all those comments. Get, that feedback helps us. Uh, make sure you're also either on Facebook, Instagram, any kind of social media, giving us those debriefs, things you want to hear about, things you don't want to hear about. I, I do laugh that I had a small, small victory because... Rob's first words uh, putting together the idea for this podcast were, why did you talk about so many other things I didn't know I wanted to hear about? Uh, so <laughs> I, think we're, I think we're hitting the mark on, on diversity. We're covering things besides just aviation, war games besides just blood red skies. Uh, so everybody, please give us your feedback. We're going to go ahead and sign off now. So thanks for listening and thanks for all the time you spend giving the information back to the Lead Pursuit podcast. Last note, Doug. I need to say we're going to release the Rave One campaign on November 5th, and it will be available at the Fights On uh, website, which is fightsonstore.com. Absolutely. And thank you for having me on the show again. Always a good time. Kevin, glad to have you on as well. Thanks so much, guys. Really enjoyed it. So if you've listened to this podcast and want to go pick up the Raven One Scenario Pack, the team over at Fights On is offering a 25% discount code that is good through the end of the month. Just use the code FLIP, that's F-L-I-P, at their web store at fightsonstore.com. Thanks for listening to the Lead Pursuit Podcast. Mm-hmm.